The podcast this week is brought to you by Peninsula Filmworks. Shocking stories, crazy stories, moving stories, but mostly authentic stories from the people of Door County. The craftsmen, the artists, the entrepreneurs, the characters. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to bringing you stories from across the county via exclusive video content. Available online at PeninsulaFilmworks.com, DoorCountyPulse.com, and on your social media platform of choice. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we'll talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you'll find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. How's your weekend? It's good. It's busy. It's that time of year. But you're a lot busier than me right now, I think, with uh, everything you're bouncing around trying to film for Peninsula Filmworks. Yeah, the, the summers are, are really B-roll heavy. We go out and we capture people in the county. Uh, and then in the winters, we get a lot more time to edit. But we're on our feet filming interviews and getting B-roll of the beaches and all that kind of stuff for, for our editing projects coming up. So... Like what this week, what thing, different things have you been filming? Um, we've been doing a couple different videos. So one of the things that we're focusing on this year is uh, the different communities in Door County. We're also focusing on water and marinas, the different beaches up here, that kind of stuff. So I've spent a lot of time this summer going to the different beaches. I've gotten video at Nicolay Bay Beach a couple times. Um, Ephraim Beach we were at today. We actually talked to um, friends of the Sister Bay Beach, one of their representatives, to talk about how the beach is so important to the village up there. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've been doing a lot of village stuff. We've also been talking to members of the Door County Visitor Bureau and getting their perspective on how the Visitor Bureau has helped shape their small business and that kind of stuff. So lots of meeting new people and talking about interesting stuff. It's been a lot of fun. So most of the time in these podcasts, you're picking my brain about what I'm working on. I'm going to pick your brain a little bit. I get to go and interview people and introduce myself and I just have a pen and paper. I don't have to get their face on camera. What is it like you go to these beaches or you're going around do a lot of people come up to you and ask you, what are you filming or or ask not to be on camera? What is? Or do you get a lot of questions when you're out there? Well, surprisingly, not as much as you might think. So I did have one person while I was at the beach ask me what I was filming. And I just told them that I'm filming beach scenes for the Door County Visitor Bureau. And that's usually enough. Um, whenever I'm filming events, I like to wear our... Filmworks lanyard that says I'm film crew, uh, that kind of stuff. When I was doing the triathlon, it was reversible. We had an all-access pass to the triathlon, so anytime we needed to get anywhere, we would just flash our badge and people would let us through. I find that when you've got a big camera and a lanyard and you're not, people leave you alone for the most part. When you're when you're interviewing somebody, a lot of times we go to people's places of work um, or we have them meet us somewhere that's relevant to what we're talking about. And everybody up here is really accommodating. I mean, we shot an interview about board sports at Good Eggs in Ephraim. And we just went up and we were like, hey, is Joel here? No. OK, well, we're going to shoot an interview and we'll call Joel and make sure it's all OK. And everybody is really accommodating in that way. Um, for that's, the, a, that's a good location for that. Mm-hmm. For the Visitor Bureau stuff, we've actually been going into the different businesses and trying to capture people at work. Okay. So big wide shots of the owners at the bar and 
people going around and being served behind them and all of that stuff. So anything, anybody who's walking by and doing their job, that's totally welcome because we, we want to capture them in their essence. We don't want it to look like the restaurant is empty. So we go in while they're busy and we set up and there's a lot of ambient noise, but as it should be, I mean, this is what they're doing every day. Yeah. So we try to capture that. Well, and you and you make it sound a little easier than I think it might be for you and, and Brett Kosmiter and Sam Kersabit going out because you're cr- trying to cram basically all these great things you can do in Door County. You you have to do them in about 60 to 90 days, especially if you want to capture summer-like scenes and, and busy scenes with people out doing things. You have a small window, so I just see your production calendar and it's 4.30 a.m., catch a charter fishing boat and go out with those guys or a lot of early mornings and, and catching stuff when, when people are available to do it and mm-hmm. all hours. Well, if we're, if we're focusing on something like a business up here, we want to go well. It, it, well, it depends on, on what it is we're doing. If we're capturing them in their element, then we want to go while the restaurant is open or while the business has people in it. Uh, otherwise, if we are taking them kind of out of context or just talking to them specifically or personally, then we'll try to f- shoot for uh, maybe before they open or right after they close just to get that like that real focused sound and everything. But then the beach stuff, the other thing that you have to think about is things look better with good light and good light usually happens um, at dawn and at dusk. So mm-hmm. you want to get up right as the sun is coming up, you get a really great golden hue, we call it golden hour. And then right as the sun is going down, everything looks really pretty too. So you want to kind of shoot in those zones. Um, for fall footage, sunset is really great because you get the the rays of light coming through the trees and the sure. leaves, and that looks really pretty. Ephraim is really great in sunset because the sun sets right over the lake in Ephraim. So when you go at that time, your shots are really beautiful. You get that great hazy light that sh- that covers everything. So you really do have to shoot when it like when the time dictates. You can't sure. really just and and weather too. I mean, we fly drones for a lot of stuff, and you can only fly drones under certain uh, weather conditions. If there's low visibility or too much wind or if it's raining or too cold or too hot, you can't put the drone up. So you really have to be opportunistic. Yeah, we have uh, we have lost a couple of drones in the uh, four years we've had Peninsula Filmworks operating. And, and sometimes you see those storms and the clouds coming in and you think this would be great to get with a drone. But if you get that with a drone, you're probably not getting your drone back. Right, exactly. Um, anytime you fly over water, you run the risk of dropping it in the lake. Um, usually... With wind, you're, I mean, you do have risk of colliding with something, but um, it, it's the water that's probably the most dangerous for drones. And of course, we want to capture as many water views as we can. So we fly the drone out over the water sure. towards the sunset. And when, when you're getting community views, it's great to come in from the water because you get a really great look at the town. But then you always run the risk of dunking the drone in the water. So <laughs> it's, a, it's high risk, high reward for the drone shots. Well, enough about us geeking out over filmmaking. We should uh, we should do another podcast just dedicated to this. But thanks for letting me pick your brain a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Let's start with an event that's coming up. Uh, the Horseshoe Bay Cave Tours have been announced. So can you tell us a little bit about the, the tours and why this is so important? Yeah. Uh, the, the Horseshoe Bay, a lot of people don't know this, but um, near Murphy Frank Murphy County Park in Egg Harbor, just, uh, just south of Egg Harbor on Horseshoe Bay Road, where the uh, big Horseshoe Bay barns are, 
kind of behind there, behind the parking lot there by the county park, there are actually caves that go way back underneath through the Niagara Escarpment, underneath the ground, underneath the bluff up above. And once a year, they open those up for a weekend of public tours on Saturday and Sunday. And that's coming up August 4th and 5th. Okay, so you can't get into the cave outside of this time period, right? No. Uh, they have a gate over it, so it's locked up. It's uh, That property is under the purview of the Door County Parks Department. And um, just, uh, I think, in 2015 or 2016 is when they finally started open, offering dedicated public tours. So people could go in there check them out and gain an appreciation for both an, another aspect of the park county parks department which is surprisingly great selection of parks around the county um some really great views in the county parks department you, you you hear county park it doesn't sound super cool but a lot of them are really cool and this is one of those so this cave there are a couple different cave systems throughout Door county but this is the biggest one correct correct this one goes back i think a little over three thousand feet underneath the ground. I have never been inside of it because it scares the heck out of me. Oh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> the, the idea of shuffling through there, because it, while it's a cave and you can get in there, um, many parts of it, you actually have to, you know, twist and squirm your way in. And in fact, um, I've been told by people who've been inside of it, you actually have to kind of get down either on your back or on your belly and squeeze through some really tight corridors. In some cases, there's there's water underneath there. Um, so you might be going through an inch of water as you're shuffling back as you get farther and farther into the cave. For these tours, I don't believe you have any of those experiences. Okay, good. Because I, I could not, like a guided tour through a cave sounds fun, but if they're like, all right, now turn sideways and we're going to, you know, sittle through this area and breathe out and exhale and then you can get through. I don't think that I would be able to do any of that because that sounds terrifying. I... I suffer from a little bit of claustrophobia, which you would think would strike me while we're in this tiny little closet of a recording studio that we have at the Pulse. But I once um, slept in the bunk of a like a camper trailer and on the top bunk and stuck with my head like into like a little box. Mm -hmm. I woke up in the middle of the night and freaked out. I thought I was in a coffin. You know, it was, and I, I even though it was easy to get out of for a moment, I had that that scare of I can't get out of here. Mm -hmm. That's what would probably strike me the entire time I was in that cave. I had a really similar experience. My parents owned a camper and the bunk beds were exactly the same way. You could get in and then you kind of laid down in this like enclosed box. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that that was really comfortable because when I'm sleeping, like our, our bed is pushed up so that the headboard is against the wall. But growing up, my bed was against the wall on two sides. And I loved that. Like I loved yeah. having the wall next to my bed. I felt really like cozy and, and safe. I always like that with the wall too. But I, I think that all of those comfortable feelings go away when you're in a spooky, wet, dark cave. And there are bats down there. It is a, it's, it's grounds for, I think, well over a thousand bats are in there. So that also would freak me out. Just, I mean, I mean I'm sure that they arrange it so the bats aren't in there while you're taking the tour. But I don't know. I, a single straggler would freak me out. Yeah, you should see if they'll let you go in by yourself and then maybe you'll come out a superhero. <laughs> Um, there are other caves too. I know that there are some caves that you can access um, like via the water, like on a kayak around Cave Point. Have you ever ducked into any of those while you've been kayaking or anything like that? I, I have not kayaked there. I have uh, I've climbed around obviously a lot on Cave Point and done a little uh, minor spelunking down there. 
Um, those are great to see. I mean, it just, especially if you go there when the waves are crashing in, uh, you got to watch yourself being by the edge, but I mean, cave point is beautiful. There's also the caves on Eagle bluff, um, which you can see as you hike down Eagle trail or out on the water around that, that big turn where Eagle tower used to be in Peninsula state park. Uh, kind of, there are some very small caves at the ground level, but there's that big one that you can see from the water that rises up. It's probably mm -hmm. 20 to 30 feet above, above ground level, I would yep. guess. Yeah. I've always been curious to whether or not those were just holes in the bluff or if they were actual parts of cave systems. Mm -hmm. um, I think that they're really neat and I, I would love to know more about the different caves around Door County, but I will never go in one because... <laughs> That like even watching um, Bear Grylls when he would like climb underneath uh, glaciers and like ice shelves and he would like sneak through like that stuff just it it drives me wild because I couldn't imagine ever being in that tight of space with so many tons and tons of rock all around you. Well, for me, if it's that fear of, OK, I could get in there. But can I get back out? Can right. I twist my body in the same way to get back out of there? I think I would panic. I think I would. Uh, the paralysis of fear would set in and I would just be stuck. And I can't imagine there's a very easy rescue attempt for somebody who's stuck in a cave. Right. So moving on to something completely different, um, there's been, there's been some commotion about the Sturgeon Bay administrator. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on and why this case is kind of unique? Yeah. So the, the Sturgeon Bay administrator, Josh Van Leeshout, um, has his jobs under threat. There are a couple of council members who in June filed a request with the city's personnel committee to review the city administrator position. And in that request, they requested that the, the administrator be terminated so the city could move in a new direction. Um, these council people are Kelly Keller-Rosoli and Kelly Avenson. They feel that Van Leeshout is kind of a... Uh, they kind of see him as a mayor's man and, and uh, also like a, a guy who has not helped them navigate the city, navigate the waters of this controversy over the West waterfront. And they feel that they need to get a new administrator and kind of fresh blood, new eyes on the, on the problems of the city to move forward. And what's come up is they expected that request to be done in, to be handled in closed session. And instead it was put on a public agenda and even their request was posted in the agenda packet with that uh, public agenda. So now the administrator, not only does the administrator know this, but all the public knows sure. that, he, that his job is in jeopardy. They haven't resolved it yet. They brought it up again at the uh, Common Council meeting on July 17th, which was very contentious. And so the administrator's, in a sense, been just hanging in the wind for well over a month now. Right. Knowing that there's been this push to remove him, but not knowing what's going to happen. That must be an incredibly awkward situation, especially because it's it's public. I mean, they've been debating it and, and everybody knows. Now, now, is that unique? Normally they, they do this behind closed doors, like you said, but is this something that the administrator would be privy to if it were happening in a non-public form? Yeah, I believe the, the administrator would know in many cases that, that they are discussing his job and that his job's in jeopardy. I talked to a number of administrators of similar sized communities and also other communities in Door County. I did not come across a single person who said, yes, this should be handled in public. Like all of them said, you would obviously uh, um, prefer to do this in closed session 
to respect the integrity of, of that employee and also to have an honest airing and also get feedback for the council. That administrator might have feedback for them that they wouldn't want to have out in public either. So here you have Josh. Imagine just being at work every day, knowing your boss want, wants you fired. Or let's say you have two bosses and one of them wants you fired and the other doesn't. And right. you're still trying to work and do your job at a high level every day. And, and that city administrator's job is really difficult to begin with, especially with everything that's happened there over the last three years. So sure. I, I can't imagine how you, how you perform. Now, normally there's also supposed to be a review process with these jobs. I mean, with any position, normally you get a, a performance review and that kind of stuff. That's not happening in this case, correct? No, you would, you would definitely expect that. I was shocked when, uh, when the personnel committee did review this request their recommendation out of that meeting was to institute a formal review policy for the administrator and all the department heads. And while that's great, it made me think you don't have that already. Sure. Um, for a city with over 70 employees, you would think that would be standard. And in talking to all these different administrators, the administrator for Bellevue, for Swamico, um, former administrators in Door County and other communities, all of them said that, yes, uh, a formal review process and a formal improvement plan, if you did have complaints, are just standard practice for both administrators and department heads. Largely, they said, because how do you base, what do you base your pay raises on if you're not doing reviews? How do you have those kind of standardized across departments and not just kind of anecdotal? And if you do need to let someone go, how do you have documentation for why you were making that decision? Right. There should always be some sort of paper trail behind why decisions are being made. And and that's not the case. I mean, other than now we have public document that these things yeah. are moving forward. But uh, yeah, really interesting. I, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens next with this. Well, and this, there's all sorts of nuance here too, in that some people would say, okay, that's on the council why haven't you instituted this review process? And I did confirm that Josh Van Leeshout has not had a, a review um, it, since he took the job in 2015. And Josh himself confirmed to me that the department heads are not being reviewed and, since he's been in the job. And his understanding is that has not been the case for many years before he took the job. Do you think that this is happening because there hasn't been that, uh, that structure set up or, or that precedent available? Well, yeah. And what the, what I've been told is some people expect the city council to push the ball forward on that. And in other cases, administrators have said, yeah, if I took a job and we didn't have that process in place, I would put it in place because I'd want to make sure I was getting judged on agreed upon goals and incentives. Sure. So th there's a back and forth on whether that was that should have been done by the administrator or if it should have been pushed by the city council. It could happen either way, but both sides are kind of I shouldn't say both sides. The admin, uh, Josh Van Leeshat has not told me that he thinks it should have been the council or anything like that. But there's two schools of thought there. If if the administrator is removed, is there precedent for that happening before? Uh, or, I mean, how does the changing of the guard normally go? I did talk to one former administrator who told me that, you know, in general, if you take the administrator's job, as soon as you get hired you're in the process of getting fired. Um, sure. Councils tend to push the blame onto the administrator for whatever happens in the community. And the, the administrator has to enforce 
the rules and regulations and penalties that the council doles out. And so they end up being the bad guy. So they do kind of wear out their welcome in communities. That's why they last two, three, four, five years. It's pretty rare in my experience in Door County to see someone in that position for much more than five years. And in, at the county administrative level, um, Mike Serpy was fired. Um, the, his replacement did not last long. I think only, I believe it was less than a year. And so you see these things, they, they, they tend to not have a long shelf life. Gotcha. And, and this one is just unique because of how it's being presented publicly. Yeah. For how public it is. And also there's, they haven't said why. Sure. If there was a motivation behind it, that would be one thing, but we can't seem to see that right now. Yeah. At least it's not, it's not public okay. and, um, which may be, may be good, but another unique aspect of this particular debate is that, uh, Van Lee Schaub's own wife has written letters and showed up at that last council meeting to defend him. And several other community members spoke up at that meeting, basically saying, okay, I can't speak to his performance. I don't work for the city, but we know him as a community member. He's a valued community member. Um, he's a good friend. He's a good neighbor, all of these things. So if I, they were essentially saying, if you have good cause, bring it forward. Otherwise, they, uh, like they just don't seem to understand where this is coming from. And I, I think, and that's fair. And unfortunately, you can't always get that understanding when it's all said and done, because they, a lot of times, once you do terminate somebody, there's an agreement that neither side will will come forward with with the reasoning and right. that's how they part ways. But the city has, through its handling of this, opened themselves up to yet potentially more legal trouble um, if they do indeed uh, move on from this administrator. They're currently embroiled in five different lawsuits with five different attorneys because they're, the city's former representation has uh, decided to stop being their representation. So they've got a lot of uh, legal balls up in the air. Right. And if we take a step back and look at this too, you had mentioned that the council has a bunch of new faces in it too. Um, is is there some semblance of maybe thinking that the administration is part of that old guard and trying to, to, to move forward with a different agenda? Or is there anything to say regarding that? I, I think there, that's certainly the case. In April, a couple of new council positions flipped, and now it went from a 4-3 kind of, in, in the easiest way to term it, 4-3 in favor of old guard versus new guard to 6-1 in favor of new guard against the old guard in terms of the voting status of the city council. And Josh, for better or worse, or right or wrong, um, depending on your inter- interpretation, he was he is one of those faces of the previous council. Now you don't want to set a precedent of, okay, we have a new council. So we, we fire staff members. Uh, that's a, that's a really hairy position to get yourself into. So they are, they are in some murky waters in Sturgeon Bay. Well, interesting. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing how this all plays out. Uh, we're going to take a break here and then we're going to come back with our feature this week. So we will be right back. So for our feature this week, Right On Door County is hosting a program with James Mahalley, who's an author, and it's a it's a storytelling session at the Aging and Disability Research Center. It's basically encouraging people to tell their life stories. This sounds like a really cool opportunity. What do you think about it? Yeah, I I think it's great. I I obviously I'm a writer. Uh so 
I love anything that gets people to put something on paper. And I think there are so many unmined stories, you know, of, of any person, but especially up here in Door County, I found that out through 15 years of, of inter- interviewing people. And what right on Door County, one of the things that they've tried to do over the last few years is to encourage people to put pen to paper. Not you don't you don't have to be somebody big and important in like the larger sense that we traditionally think of that. Everybody's got a story to tell and they've been working hard to try and encourage people to to do that throughout the county. Well, there are a lot of reasons why that's a cool idea. I mean, uh, on one hand, writing is therapeutic. It It's healthy to express yourself and it's healthy to get thoughts out of your head and out into the world through artistic expression. Writing is a really great way to do that. It builds, um, it builds different mental faculties. It, it, writing it itself is a healthy thing to do. But like you were saying, there's also something really cool about mining people for their stories. I mean, there's an infinite number of stories to tell and everyone is different. I mean, you have unique stories no matter who you are, what your status in life is. Um, so getting those stories out there is cool. Now, it, it doesn't seem or, or maybe we don't know if these stories are being pooled or collected or in any way or if they're just being used as a workshop to get people writing, correct? I think it's more, yeah, just a workshop to get people writing, to encourage people to to know that they have a story to tell and to find the way to tell it because a lot of people are intimidated by the idea of trying to tell a life story. That's very hard to do. And it's, it's too big a picture. Where do you start? Mm-hmm. I mean, you try and go chronological from, I was born here and then just, you know, next thing you know, you got 15,000 pages, right? So the idea being to try and give some people some prompts, to give them a focus, um, maybe... I, w- I always try to tell people, uh, I'm no writing coach, but I'm like, think of them, what's the most interesting time or challenging time in your life that's probably a very interesting story. Right. And it's probably going to be interesting to somebody else. And somebody else can probably learn something from that. And if you focus on those moments or what was the happiest time, most dangerous thing you ever did, those kind of things, you'll usually end up with a pretty good story. You can focus your thoughts and then you can come away with, with something. You, you might find out that, oh yeah, that, this, this made a little part of who I am or a big part of who I am. And I never really realized that it came out of this moment in my life. Mm-hmm. So you learn something about yourself. Right. And I don't think that people understand how unique or interesting their stories are either because they're in the middle of living them, basically. Um, right. Have you ever heard The Moth, the podcast? Yes. The Moth is a really great podcast where they collect stories every week and have the authors come in and tell them. And they can be stories from published authors all the way to just they do open mic nights where you can come up and tell your story. And a lot of times they'll grab those people and bring them back in to do the story for the podcast and the stories range from the incredible to the mundane and everything in between but it's always interesting to hear um there was one story that they did about a a woman who worked for a couple of months at the suicide prevention hotline and just talked about um how you know you go through the steps and it's very planned out what you say to people to help them through this and there was just there was one situation where she felt like a personal connection and dropped the manual and like tried to help somebody and and she doesn't know what happened to that person and it affected her to the point where she had to leave Hmm. kind of thing so it's like when you're living in that moment that's your job and it, it, it is what it is but for somebody who's never dealt with anything like that that's an incredible story to hear right 
Yeah. We, recently, we interviewed Greg Casperson, the funeral home director at uh, Casperson Funeral Home. And he just looks at what he does as his job, just like you said. To me, I mean, that job is fascinating. How the heck right. do you do that day after day and where, where every day of your life is dealing with your friend's worst days? Mm-hmm. Um, so, And I won't go too in-depth with that right now because I think we've got a really great story out of that that interview. But that's the kind of thing that um, illustrates how people don't necessarily value just how how cool their lives are and how interesting their lives are. And that, and that goes across the board. I mean, if you were to sit down with one of the local farmers up here and just ask them to recount their day to day, what do you do when you wake up from the mundane all the way up to, you know, going out and doing stuff? I wake up, I pour my coffee, I have some, like all of that kind of stuff. That's not a life that I live. So of course it's going to be interesting to me. I was at a farm just this week on Monday and talking to a farmer and his daughter who is, um, being groomed to take over the farm and some of the challenges they face and just walking around and seeing how they deal with the animals and, you know, a a new cow or a calf had just been born a couple hours before. And, and, and that was just kind of like stumbling around. And I'm like, man, they get to see this every day. This is such a different life than the one I live. And then down the street, there's another different life. And down the street from there is another different life that you can learn from. And those stories, you know, traditionally, um, if you take the broad view of history, History was written by the very top class, by the elitist of the elite who actually could learn to read and write right. and had the time to do so um, and had the, the wherewithal to preserve that information and who won. The people who won the wars wrote the story of the war. Right. And over, hist- over the course of history, you start to see that as inevitable, but that wasn't the case. If people could have written their stories if the layman could have written their story throughout history, our understanding of ourselves and of our history and how we got here would be dramatically different. Mm-hmm. That's why books like uh, A People's History of the United States of America are, are so fascinating because it takes a look at those things from whatever little resources there are out there. And the more that we can document everybody's story, the better picture exists for us to know what how everything that's happening every day on a big level impacts everybody at a little level. Right. Or even uh, the diary of Anne Frank. I mean, she wasn't writing that as her big novel to send out into the world. She was just keeping track of her day to day. And her story, while extraordinary, is one of thousands of stories that went untold during that period. We only know of it because it survived. And think about that. That's probably the most prominent, most famous story and storytelling mechanism of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Despite all of the awful tragedies that occurred, that's the one. And it wasn't a scholar. It wasn't even a full-fledged adult. Um, it wasn't, I mean, Schindler's List for a new generation it may, be that, may be that thing, but the Diary of Anne Frank is that, that seminal recording of that moment. Right, and, and it only exists because somebody had the ability to write it down and to share their thoughts. And, and I mean, she was using it as a coping mechanism, um, like I had talked about earlier, just getting your thoughts out of your head and into the world in some way. I mean, uh, people write, people draw, paint, artistic expression, just being able to communicate is so important. Um, and, and anybody can write. And that's the, that's the cool thing about this event in particular it's writing about yourself everybody has a story to tell whether they think it's mundane or not it's worthwhile to write it down and to share it i mean i would encourage anyone to try this once just write one page in a in a small notebook 
about something, whether it's just like recording your day or what you ate or, or a story or somebody you saw that day, just write it down, good or bad. I'd imagine you're going to walk away from that feeling a little bit better, maybe a lot better. Maybe like you get a little sense of accomplishment. Maybe it, it helps you think about that, something you were struggling with. Um, I'd, I'd be surprised if, if most people didn't feel a little bit better after just writing down a little bit. Well, and it's interesting too, because for, for most, for most art forms, and I would even go beyond art forms to think about athletic accomplishments and stuff like that too. Starting is the hardest part. Um, you hear about painters all the time. It, it's a struggle to get past the blank canvas. Once they're right. painting, everything starts to come naturally. But it, starting fresh with that is hard. That's why some people prefer modeling or uh, uh, woodworking or stuff like that because there's something that they have there that they can physically start working with rather than just a blank canvas. Or if you're looking at a blank piece of paper, talk, people talk about writer's block all the time. Mm-hmm. And one of the exercises that I love to do is to just start writing for say three to five minutes and you can't pick your pen up while you're writing and you will just write stuff like um well the sky is blue and you'll just write and write and write and then eventually something will come out yeah Um, but it's just getting past that blank canvas or that blank piece of paper starting the activity is the hardest part and that's why i think a workshop scenario is, is one of the best ways that you can do it because it's guided and people give you prompts and I mean, once you're there, you have to do it too. That's the other thing. Right. I mean, I I always have wanted to explore painting and stuff like that, but I, I, I usually don't. When my mom and my sister were up last weekend, we went to hands-on art and they painted birdhouses and then I just did one of the guided uh, canvas paintings. And like once I was painting, I was like, this is so much fun. But I had to put myself in a position where I had to do it. So once I was there, I had to do a piece. Once you're at a workshop, you have to do it. And that's the hardest part is just getting there. Once you're there, it's 90% done. Yeah, right. I had the same experience this week. Uh, I've got a bunch of nieces and nephews in town for the week from Chicago and took them to Clink, the new DIY craft studio in Ephraim, mm-hmm. working on signs and string art. And you know, when's the last time I've done string art, right? Um, but helping my niece along with it. I'm like, this, is, this feels really good. This is like very uh, relaxing. And is you you can almost feel it exercising a different part of your brain. So this event is available to anybody who wants to go. Um, I think that it's a great opportunity. And Write On does a bunch of cool workshops, seminars, sessions, all sorts of stuff throughout the year. Um, so if you haven't checked them out, I would definitely would. And if uh, if for no other reason than to get an excuse to go down and check out the Aging and um, Disability Resource Center in Sturgeon Bay. I know this sounds crazy. It's a beautiful building. It's an awesome facility. So it's a good excuse to get down there and and check out um, a really great investment by the county. Well, I think that that's just about going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for chatting with me, Miles. Of course, Andrew. Great to be here again. All right. We will see you again next week. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit doorcountypulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.